Welcome to The Near Memo, a weekly conversation about search, social, and commerce. What happened, why it matters, and the implications for local. Okay, welcome to Near Memo, episode 24. Woohoo, yes. <laughs> um, and where David, wild. Mike, and I talk about... Yes! <sighs> David, Mike, and I talk about the local and non-local news of the week, things that are interesting, compelling to us in one way or another, hopefully interesting to you. Thanks for being here. And away we go, Mike Blumenthal. So what struck me during the week was just the... Well, it started with that article I wrote about the FTC, followed up by the executive order from Biden, focusing on small business and workers in their sort of uh, creating a number of executive orders across the executive branch to increase competition, everything from making hearing aids available over the counter, which Apple's going to love because AirPods are going to become hearing aids, to uh, rolling out re or sort of resuscitating from the dead, the Robinson-Patman Act, which most of you are not familiar with. I was very familiar with as I got my acts kicked by Walmart in the early 90s, supposed to, it was an act that was created during the F, during FDR's time that was supposed to create fairness in distribution. The cost of savings could only be accrued due to savings due to increased volume. But there were all sorts of special deals that Walmart was able to negotiate. Anyways, they're resuscitating that act in sounds like alcohol, meatpacking, grocery industry. Uh, and so it What's, it's interesting on a number of levels. There was a good article in The Guardian that sort of talked about how consolidated our food supply had become, both groceries and alcohol with Bush Anheuser, how most, you know, Bush, I think, owns 600 brands or something of beer. ABNB, a, yeah. I believe. And it, so it appears that at least in certain segments of our, of our society, the executive branch is coalescing behind the FTC and the Justice Department in an effort to increase competition. It was unusual to see the language about, you know, small businesses and workers, which has not been the standard language from Democrats since at least Clinton in the 90s. And it was surprising to see uh, Biden handing the pen over to the FTC chair. So it, it, at least on the side of the executive branch, there seems to be a commonality of and pulling on the same oar which is a critical part of this succeeding. Obviously, the judicial branch is still working under different rules, and the legislative branch has sort of has these six laws that have to pass. But if some of those laws pass, it would appear that this thing might have legs. And it's just shocking to me after so many years of watching the sort of decay, you know, what Biden called the experiment of, lar- of allowing large businesses free reign fail. It's shocking to see that the tides are turning. Well, hopefully, hopefully that's true. I mean, I think that, um, you know, one of the big challenges is will the agencies be able to carry out these priorities? They're not uniformly, you know, they're, they're, it, it, there's often a mix of people, you know, the, the FTC has two Republicans and three Democrats, which who can overrule the Republicans, but there's, there's, there's going to be some friction in in rolling this out but i agree that it's a pretty it's a pretty ambitious order and pretty striking in its in its language and in sort of uh, explicitness of 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 some of that discussion then also we have the courts unfortunately that are going to block some of the things that these agencies try and do i mean recall 
the recent decision, uh, the name escapes me, where the FTC was told it can't impose monetary damages on 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 uh, on companies. It can only you know use equitable right. relief, meaning injunctions, telling people to stop bad behavior. But this is a major enforcement tool that was taken away from the FTC. And, um, you know, so we're going to face a hostile judiciary, lots and lots of of uh, Republican appointees who feel who will who will say, oh, the agency has overreached its authority. Only Congress can do this kind of thing. So anticipate those kinds of legal challenges and those kinds of decisions. Hopefully some. I don't think that the Democrats are unanimous either. There was conversation about a hearing the other hearing the other day where the Democrat from California opposed most of these antitrust laws. Chap. You, you're talking about Di- Feinstein, uh, no, or the the new the new I senator? New, I think it was in the House, uh, where she was receiving a lot of money from tech companies. So there's a lot of conflict oh, within I see. the yes. Democrats as well. I don't think it's it's a yes. done deal, but I think it's fascinating that from the president and much of the executive branch, there's general agreement. The FTC has rearranged all its rules to facilitate this, and I think if a couple of those laws pass Congress, then you you in some industries and i also thought it was interesting that they were targeting farmers and agriculture and small businesses which are groups that have historically not been democratic and there is in this some possibility of a realignment of american politics if those groups find this of value to them which it appears like they might ranchers were, were very people don't always act rationally as we know from the vaccine uh, true situation. but largely American politics aligns around economic interests of strong capitalist groups. And uh, one would one could think that possibly that could happen with this, because this is going to realign who's paying for whom in Congress. Right. I mean, if the tech companies don't get what they want, they're going to shift their support someplace else and other companies will move in. Um, I don't know. It's going to be exciting, whatever happens. And I, uh, I think yeah. I was just fascinated that Biden took such aggressive stance. Didn't say. I think it, I think it was actually after you saw your article that he wrote <laughs> yeah. that, that executive right. order, right? I was just going to say that the <laughs> uh, the uh, alcohol example with InBev is is kind of interesting. So I've you know just as a craft beer aficionado, I've been sort of tangentially following it and. They've bought um, InBev has bought a big brewery here in Oregon, Ten Barrel, uh, and down in Bend, as well as um, Hop Valley and Elysian, and and uh, uh, Ballast Point was bought by Constellation, which owns Corona. Uh, this was all four or five years ago. Uh, the interesting thing is, I, I I think that the biggest threat from uh, from an alcohol in the alcohol industry uh, that InBev is feeling is that okay, craft beer is simply a better product and is preferred by consumers. So it's actually not such a big deal that they're buying these sort of macro micro breweries. The bigger problem for consumers relative to competition and you know shutting out all these craft breweries is they're also buying distributors and alcohol being such a regulated industry the, the breweries do not have the ability to go direct to consumer i think where this may play a you know might have the potential to set a precedent around some of the companies that we talk about on this podcast is is amazon which does largely control distribution as well as making its own product um and so if there is a sort of tie-in to the themes that we talk about in terms of tech i think that amazon might be the most at risk from the analogy of of increasing competition in the alcohol industry. 
Well, what struck me about what you just said is that the that the craft breweries are the startups, the would be competitors, and the and you know AB InBev is you know is Google or Facebook buying the the smaller startup to preempt the competition or to co opt the company, right? And, it, and controlling the means of distributing that startup essentially, yeah, and yeah. also yeah. getting the benefits of scale. I mean, brewing largely has benefits from massive scale to, to some extent. I mean, obviously, there's issues of custom and taste but there's only so many hops of a particular strain so yeah it's a, the the scaling issue is is a little harder in, in brewing than in other industries okay so um just as my dog is starting to bark it's it's my uh, it's it's my turn to talk um in fact david why don't you right. why don't you go because she's she's going to be barking and hopefully sure thing. she heard she heard craft beer and got really excited um so I wanted to talk about an article you you brought up, Greg, in, in uh, one of the newsletters earlier this week around, I think it was called the AIM Group, a consulting firm, uh, did this big analysis of Craigslist revenue uh, over the last, I think it was 15 or 20 years. And the revenues for Craigslist are off 50% from their peak in 2018 at just over a billion dollars. This year they were, uh, I think, or this past year they were at 550 million, something like that. Um, and... It's, you know, as you highlighted, Greg, there's Craig Newmark is not in business to make money. Uh, he's, he's in business to kind of do his thing. Uh, and the, the company is in business to do their thing. And they're sort of uh, one of the few sort of holdovers from the, I don't even know if you could call it a web 1.0 aesthetic, but it's just, you know, pre 1.0 aesthetic. And they're sort of uh, lovingly curmudgeonly in their, uh, antipathy towards good user experience. <laughs> and um, But never, nonetheless, they've survived. They've built this big audience that uh, this report suggests may be um, you know, not, not what it once was. Strikes me that potentially Google is, is no longer rewarding Craigslist with top search positions as better user experiences uh, and better funded companies in some of the verticals where Craigslist plays, whether it's you know, uh, real estate with sites like Zillow and Redfin or um, classified ads for services like Thumbtack, potentially even Yelp. Um, it just strikes me that Craigslist has not, you know, sort of evolved in the same way that a lot of their competitors have. And I think that one of the real opportunities, I mean, I think most of us, at least I don't know about you guys, but in my generation, you know, we we basically, if we needed to find an apartment, Craigslist was the default. Um, and housing, I think, is a real, um, you know, probably still a very strong category for them. I think it's a huge opportunity for Nextdoor, uh, which you've talked about many times, Greg, in, in previous near memos, uh, to step into this classifieds void um, that this lack of evolved Craigslist has sort of created. The problem is, and, and I, I wonder if Nextdoor is going to see this as, as a real opportunity, that the problem is you have to have an address in the neighborhood that you're joining in Nextdoor. And it strikes me that the real opportunity for housing is people trying to move into a neighborhood. So I wonder if Nextdoor might evolve you know, to some sort of guest guest zip code plan or something like that to take advantage of this major opportunity, particularly around housing classifieds as Craigslist sort of fades into the sunset. So, so just a quick question, though, of, of sort of logic of this research. It's about income and Craigslist only charges in a very limited number of categories. Do we know that traffic Job, is jobs and real estate? I think are the two categories where they make most of their money. Yes, yeah. exactly. Which is why it's so shocking that they were making a billion dollars in 2018. Right. 
that number is. But does this correlate with traffic declines in other categories? I mean, like, you know, my kids need a used bicycle or whatever, or they need to sell something. Craigslist is still a common, and apartments still are a very common area for them to pursue in Buffalo. Well, I mean, some 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 of this is the clearly the coronavirus, right? The pandemic. Um, but so we'll have to see what happens, but, but I mean, I think over time Craigslist has seen some erosion, obviously of its audience. But if anything, Greg, the pandemic saw a lot more people switching jobs and has seen a lot of people moving out of cities and into more rural areas. I don't think the pandemic has effect, should have affected the two categories that Craigslist makes most of its money in. True, true, true. Well, so so the one of the, so Peter Zolman is the guy that runs AIM AIM Group, uh, somebody that I knew and have known, but not recently talked to. But I mean, he's been following this for quite a long time and classifies as their area of specialty. And uh, he he points out that Facebook Marketplace is the is the chief uh, competitor, according to them. I do agree that this is one of the big opportunities for um, Nextdoor, maybe more than advertising. Um, and I do think that I agree with what you said that Nextdoor is going to expand geographically. Uh, they're they're going to they're going to enlarge the the circles for people because they have to because they have to create more reach, um, you know. And and so can they do it? Will they do it? Unclear. But I think that it's a major opportunity for them. I, I think the other advantage that Nextdoor has going for it is that there's some there, there's not nearly the same degree of anonymity that that. Um, you know, potential landlords have to deal with on Craigslist. You don't really know, you know, who's replying to a given post or what, or sellers or whatever. Right. The the crime psychotic. <laughs> right. Exactly. Problem. At least on Nextdoor, there's a little bit of a sense of okay, they've been on Nextdoor X number of years. They've commented on fifty two posts. They have whatever. It's, it's the psychotic likes. the psychotic neighbor problem. <laughs> right. Yes, which is a very real problem, <laughs> as we know. But I just there is a there is a little bit more uh, sort of trust factor that Nextdoor has built up. I think even potentially relative to Facebook, um, that puts it in a better position uh, in terms of the I don't know the sort of cognitive hurdle that you have to jump through to actually put something on Craigslist. So, yeah, I mean, think think about so next. I, I I don't know what the, the you know Nextdoor put out its equipment. It, I don't think it put out an. Uh, uh, the the pre IPO S one I don't think they released one of those maybe they, I think there was a deck that circulated that was talking about their revenues and so on and so forth but I think they I think they've got something just north of a hundred million in revenue if I'm if that's a, from memory so it may be inaccurate but but you know Craigslist shows you in just two if you just monetize two categories with enough scale what the revenue opportunity is and this to me seems to be a stronger opportunity than SMB advertising, you know? I mean, I think you could sell enhanced profiles and tools and services to SMBs. I think it's going to be a harder sell to get them into ads a la Google. And I think classifieds is a much uh, bet, safer bet for Nextdoor. We'll see if they can if they can do it. I don't, I, I, I don't think there was any, somebody was telling me about it. I haven't seen the slides, but I don't think there was any discussion of classifieds as a monetization scenario in that, in that, uh, in that investor deck, but I didn't see it directly. So, okay. Now, speaking of trust, um, which is my segue. So, one of the things there were a lot of items this week that were. Greg, I think if you have to announce um, that it's a segue, it's probably not strong enough. Okay. All right. We'll go. Coming again. 
Nobody expects the Spanish Inquisition. Um, uh, it, it, all right, you've thrown me off now, Mike. So, uh, the, the one of the things that caught caught my eye this week uh, that we that I wrote about, um, I guess it was Wednesday, maybe it was Monday, was the New York the the new biometrics law that went into effect. So it was passed in January, went into effect in July, and basically the law says. Um, if you're doing anything sort of to collect biometric related data, which is facial recognition or other things, you know, I don't know what that would include, thumb, you know, fingerprints or voice or anything that's sort of biometric, even though people aren't getting fingerprints, um, you cannot sell that data to anybody. There's a hard moratorium on, any, on, on transferring that data. Um, there's, there's also a requirement that you have to post signage prominently at the entrances of, of, of the building, I believe, that says we're collecting, you know, we're doing facial recognition here, for example, or we've, we've got surveillance or something going on. And, you know, of course, these, these closed circuit TV surveillance notifications have been around for a long time. But, but I'm, I'm interested in this because it's something that people are uncomfortable with fun fundamentally. Uh, oh, police and financial institutions are exempted, but it's something that people are fundamentally uncomfortable with, but will their behavior change in any way? And is the law through its sort of what I characterize as public shaming, trying to dissuade businesses from, from, from adopting, you know, for example, facial recognition. So th these are sort of the interesting questions to me. What do you, what do you guys think about this? For, I mean, it's hard for me to imagine it functioning at a city level as opposed to state or national level. So there's that. It's like if you have a business, if you're a multi-location chain, it's hard to have different policies one place than the next. So I can't imagine business likes it very much because of that. I wonder if the notice, if it's prominent enough, would act like the notice on your iPhone. Gee, Facebook wants to track you. You're going to allow it. Well, that's I, what I'm wondering. That's precisely I, what I'm wondering. Would you... Would you stop at the door? Let's say you're going into a retailer, right? Some 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 retail store to to shop, you know, the North Face or some you know whatever, REI, someplace like that, um, and or, or or a grocery store for that matter. And the, and it says on the front door, we're using facial recognition te technology. We're going to capture your image. Would that give you pause or cause you to shop somewhere else? That's yeah. the interesting question. I think it I think it depends, right? I mean, if I've driven half an hour to get to a store and they've got that on there, am I going to eat that hour round trip? Um or you're just going to pull the bandana up over your face and right. put exactly. your head down. Yeah, COVID COVID, yeah. COVID works in right. that situation, I suppose. Um no, I just, you know, the public shaming is uh, yes, it will probably dissuade some people in some situations, but I think your earlier point like, you know, how much do people really care about this. I think I, you know, CCTV has been everywhere forever and uh, it's just sort of a, People basically a fact of life. Are yeah, exactly. Um, and I think it's even worse in certain other countries abroad. The UK, it seems like there are cameras absolutely everywhere, uh, at least in greater London. Yeah. Um, so I, I don't know that it's going to have a huge impact. I, I think, I guess I'm generally supportive of legislation and policies that make society more aware of all the data that's getting collected on them. Um, but in this particular case, I don't know that it's going to be hugely impactful. So it does it require, do, 
disclosure of how they're using the facial recognition data? Because I think well, not at not not in the not in the signage. Yeah, right, but I don't at this think. point, I mean, you look, you see that you know we're doing facial recognition as a line on the door. I mean, without context, I don't imagine you'd make it would change behavior. But people have been using their apps for a while. They've heard about tracking. They know they're being tracked. So now that Apple is asking, it becomes an issue. I think it's similar with this. I think most people aren't aware of the implications of, of facial recognition broadly. And I think as that awareness increases, the response will become more, more prominent. Some, some municipalities are outlawing it or trying to outlaw it um, because of the potential for abuse, I guess. Um, but but this, this sort of raises a larger point, which is interesting to me, um, which is the, the way in which people are kind of reconciled to using these tools and capabilities or, or, or complying with policies that they fundamentally oppose or make them uncomfortable. And so the, 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 um, uh, you, I think at some point in the past, we talked about the Edelman Trust Barometer that found people fundamentally trust, and this is a slightly different issue. This is not privacy exactly. People fundamentally trust uh, traditional media, print, broadcast, um, radio, and they distrust digital media. But the audience is in the exact opposite place. People are using digital media daily. They're not using traditional media quite as much. And so they're using these tools with a corresponding lack of trust, which is also part of the privacy piece. So one of the reasons why people don't trust Facebook or don't trust Google or Amazon to, to whatever degree is because of the perception that these companies are taking their data without really their knowledge terribly or their consent and doing things with it that they don't really understand. And so it's a very curious situation where we're dependent upon all these platforms and tools in our daily lives, but, but we're less and less trusting the, of them, more and more ambivalent uh, about them. And it's it's, I think it's a kind of a major problem, um, but we don't see, but nobody seems to be doing anything about it. Nobody has quit Facebook really in, t in terms of a, uh, you know, sort of mass. But, but a lot uh, of people have clicked, scale. no, don't track me. Yes, because it's so simple. And so it, it's just very intuitively understanding and they give you a tool. And right? a give third you this... party benefits from that. In other words, Apple is benefiting from offering you that choice and gaining trust while increasing distrust of Facebook. So it's a third party that's benefiting. So that's sort of, it, I mean, it's just me interacting with Facebook. It's very difficult for me to feel like I have any power. But if it's Apple giving me the choice to kick Facebook in the shins, that seems a little easier to do. And I wonder if, and there's no analogy to, to facial recognition in that power relationship. I mean, I choose to use Apple exclusively well, well, because of that. I use Apple no, but TV, you make a, I use Apple phones because I don't want people snooping but, but, on me all the time. Right, but this is a very important point. Essentially, another way to look at what you're saying is that unless you have a surrogate acting on your behalf that's of equivalent right. power in the market, you really don't, there's really no recourse for you. So, you know, it, it, the notion that the individual consumer you know, the burden has been placed on the consumer to take total control of their privacy historically. And this is really the first opportunity that people have a have a have some sort of powerful company in their corner, even though the Apple's motives are clearly mixed. And so this is this is sort of busts the myth of, you know, individual choice in a right. certain way. Oh, I agree. 
I mean, it feels powerless frequently. And that's, and so in that powerlessness, you end up continuing to just do what's convenient. Well, I mean, on the other end of the spectrum is China, right? With its, with its total surveillance of its population. And, you know, we're sort of creeping toward that, even though these tools are, are being rolled out for business purposes, ostensibly, there's a way in which they then contribute to this sort of larger surveillance uh, phenomenon that, that exists in China as the most extreme. Although, example. you know, is it, it, it be interesting. it's hard to assess, is centralized surveillance worse than Google, Apple, Facebook, Amazon, Samsung, Microsoft surveillance? It, you know, is it, how do you, how do you, how do you even put these on the same scale and assess them? One is worse than the other. I mean, they're all pretty invasive and they're all, and it may be that it's worse to have five companies, you know, or 10 companies or 20 companies surveilling you. So, so, so private industry versus right. the government. I, I, I'm postulating this. I'm not saying I, I know the answer to this question, but it, it, it's hard to, it's hard to even judge. Because so much of it goes on that we don't know about. Well, you you you've seen all the 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 movies, right? I watched all the Jason Bourne movies where they you know they're trying to track him down, and it's like, show me that all the CCTV, show me all the, get me all the cell phone records, get me, you know, just this sort of perception of 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 a, a huge instantaneously well, available in England, at least in all the police procedurals about England, it's like every block they can follow people they through, follow, like exactly. David said. Yeah. It, I don't know except, if that's true. Except invariably. No, invariably they don't. Despite the the prevalence of CCTV, invariably they don't have the footage. Right? That's what happens in the show. It's like, is there? What about CCTV? No, we don't have it. You know, to to enable the drama to sort of build and create uncertainty. Back but, to David's um, <laughs> uh, handkerchief and hat. Yeah, exactly. So, um, on that dystopian note, I think we're at the end of our. End of our. Uh, at least it was said today. in a positive. But as tone, always, you know, we almost got there. So. Yes, yeah. exactly. I say say it exactly. with a smile. Um, so uh, thank you again for listening. You know, subscribe to the blog, give us feedback, come back again. Um, we love you. Uh, Have a great weekend so. or week, depending on when you're listening. Right. Or if you're in space, <laughs> uh, enjoy. If you're a space tourist now, enjoy that experience. Thanks for joining David, Mike, and Greg. To stay on top of the latest developments in local, subscribe to our newsletter at nearmedia.co. We'll see you next week.